longing to see a nation restored. A prophet calls for God's will to be done, for heaven to come to earth. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Bethlehem Baptist Church. This is the way in which we do church at the moment. And I trust that life is going well for you during this time of lockdown. We trust that you enjoyed the children's ministry and, uh, and the music. And now we're going to move into what has been a continuation of, will be a continuation of our look at the book of Amos. So this is our third look at the book of Amos. And we are going to discover how it is that Amos uh, keeps building this picture of God's anger, but God's grace all at the same time as he projects God's voice, God's word, God's ideal to the people that he ultimately loves. Let's remember that this nation that we understand as the people of Israel was actually split into two groups now. Uh, Israel, 10 tribes, and Judah, the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. And Amos himself, he came from the smaller group. He came from Judah, and he was wanting to bring the word of God not only to Israel, the 10 tribes, but bring it to Judah as well. And so we know that um, God is a equal opportunity God, so he brings an equal opportunity prophet to bring God's word to both nations at the same time. And this for us is a reflection of God's goodness. It's a reflection of God's grace. Whilst we look at the prophets and say, wow, God, he really rips into these people and tells them off big time. We've got to realize that God doesn't ask people to do the impossible. What he does is he brings uh, a, a sort of a revelation, a, a moment in time where he says, listen, look at what you're doing. This isn't the way it's meant to be. And so therefore, what I want you to do is to change. And it's the ability to change that God believes in. It's this ability to be able to bring change, take people from a place of, of sinfulness, a place of selfishness, and bring them to a place of forgiveness. That's God's intention, always has been, always will be. But the way in which Amos himself uh, got God's message across can, it, can actually, in, in some sense, be quite humorous. Uh, we see the dripping sarcasm that we looked at last week when Amos said to the people who are worshipping foreign gods, worshipping the prophets of Baal, he's saying, why don't, you, why don't you bring in a whole lot more money? Why don't you bring your uh, sin-filled bread? Why don't you bring in uh, double free will offerings and write a list of those who are really generous and, and take great pride in what it is that you do? And so this dripping sarcasm is something that um, we see Amos using quite a bit in the book of Amos. Um, then there was Judah, and Amos tied his, his eyeballs right at their religious practices, their religious festivals. And he said, listen, I, I, speaking on behalf of God, I hate your religious festivals. I hate your music. I hate the offerings that you bring, and I hate the money that you bring. Why would God say, I hate this? Well, because whilst it might have looked good on the outside, the reality is that the heart of this was far from God, far from God. And the reason that God was saying you're far from me is because their lands were corrupt. The people who were doing the worship, leading the worship, going into worship, these were the same people who were ripping off the poor, selling people into slavery for as much as just a, 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 the equivalent of a pair of shoes. 
And this is exactly what God hates, is that you can have all of this great stuff going on that makes a worship festival or a worship time look like it really is honoring me. But the reality is, in the streets, there are people who are struggling, people who are dying, people who are being ripped off. So the courts were corrupt, the judges were corrupt, the leaders took bribes, and uh, one of the symbols of, of a corrupt uh, society was uh, when, when, when the prophets would say, your scales were inaccurate. So in other words, when you went and bought your pound of tomatoes, you didn't get a pound. When you went and sold your kilo of, of, uh, of wheat, the, 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 the scales were inaccurate. And so everybody was ripping everybody off, and everybody knew it, but no one knew how to break the cycle of this. And so God was saying, listen, enough is enough. We're going to put everything back on an even keel. We're going to pull out a, a, a proper measure in every sense, physical, spiritual, moral, and we're going to start afresh. It's called repentance. So let's have a look at the scriptures now, and I'll read to you what it was that Amos was saying to the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah. So let's read from Amos chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Woe to you who are complacent in Zion, and to you who feel secure on Mount Samaria. You notable men of the foremost nation, to whom the people of Israel come. Go to Kelne and look at it. Go there to the great Hamath, and there go to Gath in Philistia. Are they better off than your two kingdoms? Is their land larger than yours? So in this passage, Amos is saying, listen, you who are leading, you need to take a good look at yourself. There's this issue you've got of complacency. And complacency is a real problem amongst God's people because when God blesses people, they get comfortable and they start to look at themselves as being special. And when they look at themselves as being special, that mean, uh, means others are missing out. And this complacency is something that God is wanting to address here right in this moment. And he's talking to those who are leading. And the way in which he does this is he points to other cities. And he says, look, you remember these cities? And he names these three cities that we've just mentioned in the scriptures there. And he says, remember them. Look at all them. Now, these are code words because in this uh, illustration that Amos is using, he's saying these other cities have all been overrun, have all been destroyed. And the people of Israel and the people of Judah knew this. These were great cities of different nations, and they have all been overrun, overwhelmed, overtaken, and destroyed. So what God is saying is, look, you can sit there with your complacency, but just be aware bad things come to even those who are not expecting it. So let's have a look at this word complacency again. Complacency, by definition, is a feeling of smug, uncritical satisfaction. Smug, uncritical satisfaction. In other words, you're just really content with your lot, you're happy with your lot, you're not going to criticize yourself, and you're pretty pleased with where you're at. And this is pretty much where the people of Israel and Judah were at. They were pretty happy with themselves. They felt that they had achieved these things by their own strength, the comfort of their own homes, the money in the bank, so to speak, was all about them, and uh, they deserved what they got. They had a sense of entitlement. The other definition of complacency, which is going to catch, catch these people out, is this. It says that when you're complacent, you're unaware of impending danger. Unaware of impending danger. Now, to be unaware of impending danger means that uh, you're walking comfortably and you're just totally unaware that there's a big bear around the corner that's going to take you out. And this big bear, in this case, is God's anger because he's frustrated 
with the way that these people have been taking the goodness of God and using it for themselves. And so Amos is the guy who's warning them, saying, listen, don't be complacent because the big bear is just around the corner, just like these other cities were unaware that they were going to be overrun and taken out. So you too better be aware that in time, uh, the nation of Assyria is going to come down and it's going to take you guys out too and take you into slavery. So we just got to be conscious of this. And this is what the prophet is saying. So now we need to have a look at uh, what else Amos is saying when he means complacency and what it leads to. Amos chapter 6 verse 3 says, You put off the day of disaster and bring near a reign of terror. You lie on beds adorned with ivory and lounge on your couches. You dine on choice lambs and fatted calves. You strum away on your harps like David and improvise on musical instruments. You drink wine by the bowlful and use the finest lotions. But you do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, you will be among the first to go into exile. Your feasting and lounging will end. Amen. So this uh, word from Amos, this word from God, was pretty much in your face, isn't it? Because here it is telling those people who are seeking comfort, lounging on your new chair, lounging on your, uh, with, with your good food, drinking wine by the bowlful, um, God is saying this is not an acceptable way for the people of God to live, particularly when there's social injustice happening just literally down the street, particularly when you're the one who's probably causing it either directly or indirectly, either consciously or unconsciously all this personal comfort. And yet when we read this, it should take us, um, take our breath away really because in many respects, what Amos is just describing here is the Western dream, the Western goal, to be comfortable, to have plenty of good food and to be able to drink all the good wine. And so here God is saying, don't be satisfied with this because this is not good enough. Now, what does that mean for us as Christians when we look at this? Because we go, well, hold on, um, here is a whole lot of good stuff that seems to be a blessing, and we might have worked really hard to achieve this. But um, God is saying, look, it's, it's all about personal engagement. You have to be engaged with your society. Don't allow people to be ripping others off, even to the point where you need to be in the lives of those who are struggling. You need to be known and make yourself known to people who are on Tough Street, on the on the, on the edges of society, people who are really wrestling with some of the things that are causing the injustice. And uh, what we see in, with Jesus is that he's wanting to be up close and personal with people who are really struggling, not ignoring them. And that means for us as Christians, we can't even get to the point where we're just simply saying, well, they can have my money. I can have a number of these World Vision kids on my fridge and they can get my money, but they don't get my time and they don't get me. You see, God is saying, as a nation, we need to be engaged with people. We don't lower ourselves by getting into somebody's life who's struggling. We actually, when we meet with them and spend time with them, we lift them up. And we lift them up and we allow them to understand their value. That is the beauty of what God is wanting to bring. And we see this right at the very core of the Judeo-Christian faith is that God is saying we're all equal, we're all made in God's image. And every time we reach out and lift somebody up and allow ourselves to be part of their lives, we're saying that God loves you, we love you, and that we're all in this together. And so this is about personal engagement. And a prophet's role 
as it was with, is with Amos, is to challenge the status quo. And even by me saying what it is that is the prophet's role, even by me just making a very, very simple definition of what our responsibilities are, it'll be getting up your nose because it's challenging you in respect to your own lifestyle. This is what the prophet's role is. He's saying, listen, you can't be satisfied with your life when there are other people who don't barely have a life. You've got to get off your couch. You've got to put down your bowl of wine. You've got to put your fatted calf to one side. And you've got to be able to create an environment where other people can engage in what God has given you and you help them be lifted up. Uh, last year, Rob, Pastor Rob, uh, as part of a series that we did looking at the table, talked about how it is that we can engage people in a very, very simple way. So I'm going to just allow us to see now what Pastor Rob had to say to us six months ago at an evening service. I'm sure you'll, you'll see what I mean by this. This, for me, is radical inclusiveness. It's about hospitality. It's about kindness. It's about generosity. It's about support. It's this living into something different in our lives. It's the process of showing respect, generosity, and care for others. The response we give when we understand what it means to surrender our time and space to people and beings that enter our world. Often, we're too busy running to the next thing to be present with people. Um, out in our cafe, there's two big, long tables. Um, we encourage you not to just sit with the people you would normally sit with if you're staying with us. Sit somewhere along and fill, fill those tables up and the food's going to come along um, in a few minutes. But the reason why I'm so committed to the table, I, I saw this a couple of years ago. And it says, if you are more fortunate than others, it's better to build a longer table than a taller fence. Um, often we want to get space from people and push away. I was in Auckland yesterday for um, a family do, and I drove in and I just came past all these streets that just had fences that were six foot high. You just, it's just exclusive and closed. And I know within some of those communities, it's, it's difficult, it's security, it's other things. But for me... We live in quite a fortunate position and often we're trying to create space between people rather than bring people in. The table is that place. We actually bought a bigger table when we moved here because we had more space. We love it because we can have more people around. So Rob did a really good job illustrating that, didn't he? The simplicity of saying, hey, listen, let's just build a bigger table. Let's just get more people around it. Uh, anything that God is involved with will always involve people. And if you want a definition of what God loves, he loves it when we go deeper with him, go deeper with other people, when we're engaged in social justice or when we're engaged with evangelism. These three things, evangelism, social justice, going deeper with God, deeper with people, are the, are the very core things that define what it is that we as Christians, followers of God, should be engaged with ourselves. These are the things that allow uh, God and his kingdom to be built and for his kingdom to be known. So the call of the prophet is, is this. Examine, examine, examine. Examine, examine, examine. Examine your life. Test it. Challenge it. Don't move into complacency. Otherwise, you're just going to end up wasting your one and only life on the things that are, got, are going to have no ultimate reward for you or for anybody else. Remember what I said in the first two talks, uh, that quote from Socrates that says, the unexamined life is not worth living. The unexamined life is not worth living. And that's very much what uh, Amos is saying. 
challenge yourself, allow God to challenge you, and have an open heart towards what it is that God is saying to you at any given time. So we're going to have a look now at Amos chapter 7, and we're going to see some unique ways in which God challenges us with a whole new measure. Amos chapter 7, verse 7 to 8. This is what he showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to plumb, and with a plumb line in his hand, and the Lord asked me, What do you see, Amos? A plumb line, I replied. Then the Lord said, Look, I am setting a plumb line among my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac will be destroyed, and the sanctuaries of Israel will be ruined. With my sword, I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. Amen. So those of you who understand a little bit about the building trade, we understand what a plumb line is all about. Plumb line is an old-fashioned method of trying to keep things straight. Uh, literally, you'd take a rock or a piece of lead and you'd hang it on a piece of string and you'd let that fall and that would become your true, uh, true fall, your accurate way in which you'd measure whether something was true or straight. And you'd hold your plumb line up against the wall and you'd determine whether your brickie was doing a good job or your tradesman was putting up that wall in a straight way. Very, very simple method in which you would keep your building safe. What uh, the prophet Amos is saying is, listen, God is using a plumb line. Now, we have lots of different plumb lines in our lives. We don't even realize that we have them. Uh, they're around us everywhere. They're the, the measures we use to determine as to whether something's right, be it uh, something physical, whether it's right, something moral, something ethical even, even emotional. We're always having these plumb lines. So let me just uh, test you a little bit on this. Right now, we've got a plumb line, and uh, it looks a little bit like this. Here's a plumb line for, for the lockdown, okay? See, anything can be used as a plumb line as long as it's got a bit of weight to it. And in fact, we actually add value to things. We create the weight. Right now, some hand sanitizer is representative of a plumb line that is really important to us right now because we're wanting to keep ourselves safe. Does it make sense? It's a plumb line of hygiene. It's a plumb line more than hygiene. It's a plumb line of safety. So this is really, really important to us right now. It's a plumb line that we're very, very... Um, uh, comfortable talking about right now. All right, but let's just um, look at probably some more of the traditional plumb lines that we might have used, we might use in today's society. Here's a, uh, a cell phone which represents social media. Now, there is a plumb line that comes with social media and it's called popularity. Popularity, you see, the whole goal is, of course, is to make myself famous by being discovered somehow. Uh, with the website, we can, uh, with the internet, we can put ourselves up on a huge number of different mediums and create an opportunity for ourselves to be, uh, to be known. Therefore, we become an influencer, and with that comes a reward of popularity and often money. So there's a plumb line that we use in today, today's society. We measure ourselves against uh, social media popularity. Of course, there are other measures. Um, we have this other plumb line. Uh, called health. So here's, here's a plumb line that we're quite familiar with. This is something that you'll find at the gym, okay? And uh, it's, a, it's a measure of our, our strength, our well-being, our personal vitality. And of course, if you can pump this weight enough, uh, you know, twice a day, seven days a week, you end up with some abs, and abs will give you more fame on the other, other plumb line called social media. And so uh, really, really, um, obviously, really help important to be healthy, uh, but these things like popularity and uh, finance, 
and this other one here, money. Uh, these are great, great servants, but they're terrible masters. And this is the thing that God is wanting to say. You can have this plumb line of finances here. So I've got the old FPOS card, credit card going on here. Um, that represents for us today money. Now, money is a, a great servant, but a terrible master. Okay, And yet it's one of the most defining ways in which we determine our success. If we use this as a plumb line, uh, it takes us down the track of saying money is everything. Money is the measure of your value. And even to the point where we will break laws and break people to get hold of more of it. So it's a plumb line, but it's not the one God wants. Okay, so you probably think you know where I'm heading now. The plumb line that uh, we would suggest that we use here is, um, is God's Word. And, of course, the Bible is in itself a plumb line. It's a measure. We can hold it and we can test ourselves against it. Uh, there's a quote that is going to come up on the screen here, but I'm going to speak to it as we hold this plumb line here. Um, Cecil B. DeMille, who was a producer of some fantastic old movies, usually centered around Bible stories, uh, produced a movie called The Ten Commandments. Now, we all know what The Ten Commandments are, but he was asked um, whether society was um, keeping the Ten Commandments and whether by breaking them we were going to hurt ourselves. Well, the quote that he came back with was fantastic. He said, we don't break the Ten Commandments we break ourselves upon the Ten Commandments, okay? So what he's saying here is that the plumb line of the Ten Commandments, uh, they are great, we don't break them, but if we don't keep them, they break us. Now, the thing about Scripture is that it's powerful when it provides a plumb line. The difficulty with Scripture is that it embodies religion at its worst. It can do. So the definition of a plumb line for the Christian is this. It's the cross. It's the, it's the ministry of Jesus. Because in the cross, you find selflessness, you find sacrifice, you find death to self, and you find ultimately resurrection. And it's this story that is the most powerful story that Scripture captures for us. We can be religious, and we know religious people who are literally quite nasty people because they're always judging everybody. The plumb line is not designed to judge others. It's designed to allow you to test yourself. Remember what I said the role of the prophet was? The role of the prophet was to cause you to stop and think and examine, examine, examine. That's the role of the prophet. And so here's the plumb line. Now, what I want you to do over the uh, in reflection of this talk today is I'm really setting you up here to ask some really, really important questions of yourself in this season of lockdown. You see, the thing about uh, this opportunity that we have is that, is that this opportunity in lockdown is to do things that we probably never had time to do before. And some people are saying, yep, there's a whole lot of series on Netflix that I'm waiting to catch up on. Uh, there's a whole lot of stuff on YouTube. I'm just going to feast on that. And uh, I'm going to come out in four weeks' time filled with all this great conversation that I can have around a coffee cup with my workmates when I get back. What a waste of time that would be. Eh? Uh, there's a, a great little doco that I saw some time ago um, by David Attenborough 
looking at some polar bears emerging from the side of a mountain covered in snow. And the image that I want to be able to capture for myself and my family is what sort of shape am I going to be in when I emerge from my period of hibernation? And hibernation is going to be different for everybody. But look, four weeks of investing in yourself, examining, 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 is, is a brilliant way to use this time, isn't it? You can come out of this, seri- this season of time filled up with a whole lot of uh, useless entertainment, or you can drill into the Word of God, you can drill into your prayer life, you can do the examine, 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 and you can be way better off for the experience of having a four-week shutdown. So I, I just challenge you to do that. The only problem that you're going to have is that you're going to be different to the person who went into hibernation. And when you're different, Amos reminds us that that is going to be a challenge as well, a challenge to people around you. So let me read to you the last part of Scripture in this morning's talk to describe to you what challenge you will face if you allow God to work in your life. So let's have a look at Amos chapter 7, verses 10 to 15. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent a message to Jeroboam, king of Israel. Amos is raising a conspiracy against you in the very heart of Israel. The land cannot bear all his words. But this is what Amos is saying. Jeroboam will die by the sword, and Israel will surely go into exile away from their native land. Then Amaziah said to Amos, Get out, you seer, go back to the land of Judah, earn your bread there, and do, and do your prophesying there. Don't prophesy anymore at Bethel, because this is the king's sanctuary and the temple of the kingdom. Amos answered Amaziah, I was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I was a shepherd, and I took care of sycamore fig trees. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. As we can see, Amos paid a price for being a prophet. Firstly, he was misrepresented. The things that uh, the king Amaziah was saying that the prophet was saying weren't true. No one was talking about somebody being killed. But what was happening here is he's being misrepresented, even in light of uh, being God's person in this place. And here is a challenge for all of us. When we emerge out of our hibernation in four weeks' time, if we are going to do this walk with God seriously, we will be different. When you're different, you walk to the beat of a different drum. You challenge society. You're a contradiction to what society expects you to do. And if you decide that you're going to allow God's word to to dwell deeply within you and change you and challenge you, then your values are going to change. You're going to find yourself doing things differently to other people. And people were just going to simply scratch their head and go, man, he's got that religion real bad, isn't he? You know, and like a prophet, you're going to live a prophetic lifestyle and people are going to see in you something completely different. We trust that it's not weird in a weird way, but weird in a positive way because you're the one who opens up your home to the poor. You're the one who challenges people who are dishonest in their business dealings. You're the one who embraces those who others don't want to know because it's not good for your look to be seen with them. You're the one who's going to be uh, advocating for the poor. You're going to be advocating for social justice. You're going to be drilling into the, the, the uh, fabric and the framework of society to say, what is it about this nation that we can do better? That's always been God's people's responsibility. And as I say, right from 2,800 years ago, in Amos's case, 
That has been the call that God has put upon his people, Israel, to do things well themselves and then help society as a whole. So, friends, as we look at Amos, we don't look at somebody who's a weakling from 2,800 years ago. We look at somebody who's a very, very intense, strong character, and he brings that through the pages to us. And in this four weeks, for such a time as this, Amos is speaking to us, and I want to let those scriptures speak to you. So let's, let's simplify this. Examine, examine, examine. Look back over your life. You've got four weeks to do it. Ask God what is it that he wants you to do rather than you telling God what you want him to do for you. Look at what it is that's driving you. What are your motivations? What are your plumb lines? You could have a whole series of plumb lines in your life. But take time out in these four weeks ahead and allow God to examine your life in a way that he hasn't had the opportunity to do for a really long time. So for now, let me pray and uh, we'll quiet our souls before the Lord. Father, we thank you that uh, Scripture gives us the opportunity to be able to stop and reflect. And Lord, you paint a beautiful picture of what society should be like. But you start that picture with us as you call us to examine our lives, to bring that plumb line in line with the person of Jesus who embraced, who loved, who cared, who challenged, but ultimately sacrificed what he had so that others could win. And that's the role, Lord, that we're called to play, to give our lives away for the sake of others. And so let the words of Amos echo deeply within our week. Let them challenge us in the four weeks ahead. And may we emerge, as it were, from hibernation in a different place with a different set of values, a renewed vigor, a renewed opportunity that uh, we'll present for ourselves as you guide us. So we pray this in Jesus' name, and I trust at home everybody says, Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you, and uh, we look forward to connecting with you during the week. Uh, let us know how you felt this talk went, how we went this Sunday. Uh, we'd love to get your feedback. Okay, God bless. Bye for now.